the Lutheran Hour, bringing Christ to the nations. Is it better to write one big check or a thousand little ones? That's the question Dr. Dean Natasdy uses to describe the Christian life of service and sacrifice. We are not called to a life of peace on every side, but to a life of witness, a life of bearing crosses. For some, it will be one great sacrifice. For most of us, we'll give our lives away for others a little bit at a time. Tears, fire, and a song. This is who we are. Stay with us for Dr. Natasdy's message coming up next here on The Lutheran Hour. Hi, this is Mark Eicher. Thanks for making The Lutheran Hour part of your week. And thank you for your faithful support. To learn how your gifts and prayers help to bring Christ to the nations and the nations to the church, go to lutheranhour.org. The Reverend Dr. Dean Natasdy is President Emeritus of the Minnesota South District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Now with a message titled, Tears, Fire, and a Song, here is Dr. Natasdy. Our text from Holy Scripture is from Jeremiah 20, verses 7 through 13. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all the day long. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side, denounce him, let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived, then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore my persecutors will stumble, they will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts, who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind. Let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you have I committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. Let us pray. Lord, put a fire in our bones and a song of praise on our lips. Let your word so take hold of us so that picking up a cross is not a cliche, but a way of life. Amen. I must tell you what came over me the first time I read this text from Jeremiah after living away from it for a time. It was the same feeling I had recently when teaching the ethics of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was executed under Hitler near the end of World War II. It was the same feeling I had in listening again to Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech, I Have a Dream and thinking about the killing of Dr. King in Memphis. is not the feeling I would have expected. More likely and fitting would be a response of admiration and reverence toward a hero of the faith. This time around, though, considering Jeremiah's poem of lament, my reaction was different. I felt a falling short, even intimidation. I felt a strong sense of having it too easy as a follower of Jesus Christ. 
I always love the story told by Alfred Lord Tennyson and others of, of a monk named Telemachus, who in 404 AD was pushed along into the Colosseum in Rome by a mob of thousands who'd come to watch gladiators kill one another. He couldn't believe what he saw. He made his way down into the arena and began to shout, in the name of the Lord Christ, let the killing stop. He got in the way of the action and the crowd booed and hissed. A gladiator pushed him aside to the ground. He got up again, in the name of the Lord Christ, let the killing stop. The crowd threw stones at him as he fell to the ground again. One last time he stood up, in the name of the Lord Christ, and a gladiator ran him through with his sword. He lay dead in the sand. Gradually, first a few, then many, then all walked in silence from the Colosseum to their homes. The gladiatorial contests in the Roman Empire ended that day. What courage Telemachus showed, and what a price he paid. I remember as a teenager thinking about being a pastor and imagining myself as a Navy chaplain. In battles at sea, I would save lives for eternity, giving up my own life to save others. Maybe my church would even put me up on a stained glass window. None of it ever happened. It was just a, a dream. Considering Jeremiah's lament, an old sermon by a homiletics professor, Fred Craddock, comes to mind. In the sermon, Craddock remembers how in his youth, he and a group of young people were at a church camp and sang an old hymn titled, Are You Able? And he was sure, if necessary, he was willing and able to lay down his life for Christ. Fred pictured himself running in front of a train to rescue a child, swimming out to get someone who was drowning. I pictured myself, he continued, against a gray wall and some soldier saying, one last chance to deny Christ and live. I confessed my faith and they said, ready, aim, fire. The body slumped, the flag was at half-mast, and widows were weeping in the afternoon. Later, a monument is built, Fred went on, and people come with their cameras. Johnny, you stand over there where Fred gave his life. Let's get your picture. Fred Craddock continued, I was sincere then as I've been sincere these 45 years since. I am able to give my life, but nobody told me that I wouldn't give my life for Christ by writing one big check. Instead, it has been decades of writing little checks, 85 cents here, a dollar 39 there. Giving my life for Christ has meant being faithful in small things over and over throughout my life. Nobody warned me that I could not write one big check. I've had to write 45 years of little checks. I will be the first to admit that Jeremiah's prayer of lament is not included in Scripture to shame us or intimidate us. How we respond to a text is not always in sync with why the text was written, but there it is. For the record, Jeremiah prays six prayers of lament in the book of Jeremiah. The fifth one in chapter 20 follows his trip to the pottery shop in chapter 18, where a potter takes a pot gone wrong and starts over with it. This is what God will do with Judah for its idolatry, he says. In chapter 20, he takes a pottery flask and intentionally breaks it and says, this is what God will do with the king and leaders of Judah. Boldly, right in the temple courts, as if writing one big check, Jeremiah then preaches against Judah's apostasy, predicting her destruction. Imagine that. 
In chapter 20, the chief security officer in the temple, a priest named Pashur, hears Jeremiah's prophecy on the temple grounds, has him beaten, put in stocks for 24 hours, on display in a very public place. Jeremiah becomes an object of ridicule and shame. And he doesn't help his cause either when Pashur releases him the next day. Jeremiah renames Pashur, giving him the nickname Magor Mizabib, which means terror on every side. Is one of Jeremiah's favorite phrases, favorite way of saying what would happen to Judah when Babylon came rolling in with destruction. Lest we think all of this bold, life-risking, big check-in-your-face prophecy comes easily, here, just here, is Jeremiah's fifth lament. We know about laments. There are at least 60 psalms of lament, both individual and corporate. In the lament, we often see the movement of the one in prayer from complaint to trust, and even praise. Jeremiah's lament here is no different. He accuses God of persuading him, even seducing him into being a prophet. It's not at all what he bargained for. Instead of adoring crowds and faithful followers, he's become a laughingstock. He is mocked. Now they're calling him God's prophet, Magor, Misabib, terror on every side, because all they can talk about is Babylonian terror on every side. Even my friends, say Jeremiah, are waiting for my downfall. The word of the Lord that was his delight and weapon has become an object of ridicule. And then there is the turn in Jeremiah's lament. Yet, says Jeremiah, when I try to be silent and not mention the word of the Lord, there is a fire in my bones, a burning inside, and I can't hold it in. The Lord is with me all right, he prays. My enemies will not succeed. It's amazing. Jeremiah talks to God the way few of us do. He bears himself before God. He borders on blasphemy and calling God a deceiver. In Jeremiah's prayer, though, we watch him move to renewed trust in God to get him through. And it turns on this fire in the bones that will not let him be silent. So how does the lament end? with praise, with a song, for heaven's sakes. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers, from tears to fire to praise. Lest we think it was all roses and hoorays from there, in the very next verses of Jeremiah 20, the prophet considers how miserable his life has become and gives us yet another lament in which he curses the very day he was born. It's all very intense, resolved and then unresolved, at peace and then at war with God and himself. We know Jeremiah as the weeping prophet. When Michelangelo painted Jeremiah and his group of six prophets on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, he gave us Jeremiah as an old man hunched over, his hand holding up his bowed head, staring at the ground, no doubt lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem and the price he paid in predicting it. He is burdened and tired. He has the look of a big check writer. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who gave us the term costly grace. He was describing Christians who receive the grace of God and show how costly that grace was for Christ in their own lives of service and sacrifice. Cheap grace, Bonhoeffer taught, is grace without repentance, grace without the cross, Grace without a price, grace with no checks, great or small. 
whoever would come after me, Jesus said, must deny himself, pick up a cross, and follow me. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Bonhoeffer called it in German, Stellvertretung, a vicarious substitutionary representative action of being there for others, the way Christ has been there for us. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, Jesus told his first disciples, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So everyone who acknowledges me before others, he said, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So many of those first followers of Jesus endured to the end, writing one huge check of service, sacrifice, and martyrdom. Then there are the little check people, wanting to be stand up for the truth martyrs and feeling more like, Two-bit pretenders want to be heroes in the kingdom. Jeremiah leaves me feeling that way because God asked more of him than he could deliver, and he delivered anyway. Is it that God expects less of us? Is it that the times are different and require less of Christians? I keep hearing that North American culture is post-Christian, a secular society a culture in which the fastest-growing religious group among us is the group with no religion, no connection to any organized faith. During the recent pandemic, our places of worship were quiet for too long. Along the way, perhaps we were quieted in our witness. Faith and politics have become so interlaced, we don't even know where one ends and the other begins. We become confused and content to be safe within our tribe comfortable with those who share our faith in politics. The little checks we write in witness will be with those we know and trust. They cost us nothing. We need to hear Jeremiah today. We need to pray like Jeremiah. We need talks with God that are intimate and real, conversational prayers, honest and rich with feeling. We need to be real with God, telling God everything, even what shows us to be less than righteous, less than perfect. In such prayers, God shapes us for our witness. And we need Jeremiah because he shows us what we must feel again as costly grace Christians, a fire in our bones that will not let us be silent in a godless culture. We must live a life so close to the word that it creates a burning within us. We have stories to be told and told again, songs to be sung again and again, songs of praise, songs of promise. The checks we write in terms of witness are made out in prayer and in a growing zeal for the gospel, and then they are cashed out in life. They are expressions of the praise we will not relinquish ever in our prayers to God. We need Jeremiah because in Jeremiah, God challenges us to write the check, great or small, even if we don't feel like it, even if the world around us seems to be going to hell in a handbasket. Write the check, Jeremiah tells us, because the fire in your bones will not let you do otherwise. Write the check with tears in your eyes and praise on your lips. The fire in our bones is no threat of an impending invasion, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of life and purpose for a generation that has left God behind. The Jesus whom we follow, he wrote the biggest check of all. 
His payment covered the sins of the whole world. There were little checks along the way for Jesus, the ridicule, the testing, the charge of being demonic, even insane, the betrayal, the desertion, all of that along the way. But in one great courageous act of obedience to his father, he wrote the big check that saved the world and brought you and me out of slavery to freedom. We do not float effortlessly as Christians from one victory to another. We are not called to a life of peace on every side, but to a life of witness, a life of bearing crosses. It may not be as grand as we imagined or as costly, but as Bonhoeffer wrote, when God calls us, God bids us come and die. For some, it will be one great sacrifice. For most of us, we'll give our lives away for others a little bit at a time. It will begin at home and with our neighbors. It will not always be easy. And should we weep along the way, like the prophet Jeremiah, God will keep that fire in our bones burning and that praise on our lips singing. Tears, fire, and a song. This is who we are. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, call us again to prayers of honest struggle, to a word that will not let us go, and to witness, small and great, that follows the way of the cross. In your strong name, amen. You're listening to The Lutheran Hour. For free online resources, archived audio, our mobile app, and more, go to lutheranhour.org.
Lord, It Belongs Not to My Care. Text by Richard Baxter, music by Carl Schock, performed for us by the Concordia Seminary Chorus, directed by the Reverend Henry Garricky. You're listening to the Lutheran Hour, and joining us now, here's Lutheran Hour speaker, Dr. Michael Ziegler. Hello, Mark. I enjoy Dr. Natasdee's thoughtful messages, especially how he described the Christian life of service and sacrifice as writing checks both big and small. Now, how does that idea of writing checks maybe relate to the idea, the doctrine of vocation, of spending ourselves down through our various callings in life? I think of it in terms of promises, making promises, keeping promises. So much of our life is wrapped up in the promises that we make and keep or fail to keep. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're taught to see all of those little promises in the light of the big promise that God made and kept by sending Jesus. But without Jesus, we might be tempted to see making and keeping promises as a way we accumulate more for ourselves, manipulating people or using them. Or we might try to be self-sustaining and keep as few promises as possible to be independent But in Jesus, we can see that promise-keeping activity like he does. That is, we use it to build greater bonds of trust, loyalty, mutual care, and concern for others. Dr. Natasdee warned against writing checks quietly exchanged within the safety of our own tribe. He says, they cost us nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Again, I think it's helpful to think about even, say, the transfer or the exchange of money as promises made and fulfilled. So, for example, if I hire a professional to fix my roof and he's my go-to guy for repairs, I know he's trustworthy, and so there's very little risk in that exchange. It doesn't cost either of us because we're both getting what we want. There's no sacrifice. I pay him, he does the job, and and it works. But let's say I go to a new guy and I pay the bill, but he doesn't fix it right. And I don't find out about it until after he's skipped town. That's costly. That, that was a sacrifice. And that's why we're always cautious entering into any sort of business deal with someone we don't know or someone that hasn't been referred to us by a trusted friend. Yes. And so what Dr. Natasty was saying about Christians, in a relational sense, our greater mission is not to avoid that risk, you know, never reaching out to a new person because they might cost us something. No, our mission, our witness is to venture out of the safety of our tribe of, of what we already know to bring new people in to, who, who don't know Jesus, who are not yet in his family, even though that's going to cost us. Now, you're not saying that as a Christian, I should hire someone who's unqualified to fix my roof. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Although, if you think about it, it depends on your goal. Maybe you do hire someone unqualified Probably not to fix your roof, but maybe say the kid in the neighborhood to mow your lawn, even though you know he's not going to do as good a job as a professional would do. So you you eat the cost temporarily or in the short term because you care more about the relationship. Maybe the kid doesn't have a dad and, and you're being a mentor to him. And so likewise, Christians eat costs in their vocation. So they donate time or money to ministries that don't give them personally anything tangible to show for it, no profits, or they take a job in a social service realm that doesn't pay as well as the industry standard, or they stay faithful in a marriage, even when it's not as 
fun as it used to be, or stay committed to a local church, even if someone there upset them. So that is what I think Dr. Nadesty means about writing checks. We're not seeing the world primarily in terms of payment and reward, but in terms of long-lasting relationships and self-giving love. Because Jesus has got us covered for all eternity, uh, we can be like him. We can see people as the true treasure and invest in them long-term and build up those relationships over time and ultimately for eternity. And now Dr. Nadesty leads us in praying the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. The Lutheran Hour is brought to you each week through the support of our faithful listeners. We rely on your prayers and gifts. To learn how you can support and extend the worldwide outreach of the Lutheran Hour, go to lutheranhour.org. And join us next week for a message about finding life by losing it with guest speaker, Pastor Keith Haberstock from Alberta, Canada. This has been a presentation of Lutheran Hour Ministries. Music